Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinnie Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you've never opened a Bible or read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be serving mammon. Let's begin in Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, beginning in the first verse, it says, And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man, which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. In this chapter, we find the word mammon mentioned three times. In total, it's only mentioned four times in Scripture. Its only other occurrence is in a parallel passage, Matthew 6 and 24, which says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Since this word is only mentioned four times, it's important that we take a closer look at it. Although the New Testament is written mainly in Greek, mammon is an Aramaic term. In Aramaic, it means riches, money, possessions, property. The concordance says it is a Semitic term for the treasure a person trusts in. It is an Aramaic term related to the Hebrew term aman, meaning to trust. This shows us the importance of trust when it comes to mammon. When Jesus spoke this, and later on, when Luke was writing this, they could have just used the ordinary Greek word for wealth, but they didn't. They specifically used the term mammon, and it was for a reason. When people are serving mammon, it goes beyond just serving the purposes and ends of wealth. It has to do with trusting wealth and trusting money as a source of their provision, protection, and security. 
This reveals that serving mammon is not mindless service. It's intentional, and it's even from the heart. But it goes even deeper than this. The concordance also says it is of Chaldee origin, meaning confidence or wealth personified, and avarice deified. This takes us even deeper into the meaning of mammon, showing us that it's beyond merely serving wealth, and it's beyond trusting wealth as what it is. It's making a god out of wealth. It's idolizing it, trusting in it as a god. Wealth is not bad in and of itself, but serving it, trusting it, and loving it are what make it wrong and evil. We must ask ourselves, what does it mean for wealth to be personified? History gives us some insight into this. In Ellicott's Bible commentary, speaking of the word mammon, it says the word in Syriac means money or riches. It occurs frequently in the Chaldee Targum, which was a spoken translation of the Hebrew Bible, or in paraphrases of the Old Testament. But no word resembling it is found in the Hebrew of the Old Testament. In the 4th century, the Christian writer Jerome founded a use in Syria and Augustine in the Punic dialect of his native country. There is no ground for believing that it ever became the name of any deity who, like the Plutus of the Greeks, was worshipped as the god of wealth. Although he says here that there is no ground for believing that Mammon was a deity, some did believe this, including Tertullian, a Christian writer of the 2nd century who lived in the Roman province of Carthage in Africa. The commentary also says, It was in common use in our Lord's time for wealth or riches, and possibly as stated by Tertullian, whose authority as a Carthaginian may be admitted as of some weight, was applied to some Syrian deity, who like the Greek Plutus, was worshipped as wealth personified. If we admit this view, it explains what is not otherwise easy to explain. Luke's introduction of the Syriac word instead of its Greek equivalent. We find people today, in our own time, doing the same exact thing. We may not have a physical stone idol for wealth, but that doesn't stop people from idolizing and worshipping money. They treat wealth like a person, expecting it to save them and to meet all their needs. They attempt to give wealth God's proper place in their lives. But all this does is breed avarice, which becomes an all-consuming desire for more that is never satisfied. Ecclesiastes 5 and 10 in the English Standard Version says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. The very thing that they are serving and trusting in is the very thing that will destroy them in the end. This is why we need to understand mammon. In order to fight good spiritual warfare, we need to know our enemy and his playbook. He doesn't just want us to desire wealth. He wants us to worship wealth. The next thing that we need to look at is verse 9, which says, And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. This is an interesting verse, and it should lead us to ask ourselves some questions. The NSAB version translates the same verse as, And I say unto you, Make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. The first question that we need to ask ourselves is why would Jesus tell us to make friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, and what exactly does this mean? This verse in the Amplified Bible says, And I tell you, learn from this. Make friends for yourselves for eternity by means of the wealth of unrighteousness that is, use material resources as a way to further the work of God, so that when it runs out, they will welcome you 
into the eternal dwellings. This doesn't mean becoming friendly with the concept of idolizing money or those who do it. This has to do with how the money is used. The phrase by means of in the Greek is the word ek. It means out from among, suggesting the interior outwards. The concordance goes on to say that it means out from and to, out from within. This is one of the most under-translated and therefore mistranslated Greek propositions, often being confined to the meaning by. It has a two-layered meaning, out from and to, which makes it outcome-oriented, out of the depths of the source and extending to the impact on the object. First, we need to understand that the source of our money is God. He knows that we have need of it, and he provides it for us. Deuteronomy 8 and 18 says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. Proverbs 10.22 tells us, The blessing of the Lord it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. Since God is the source, he gives us the money to steward and to manage it. And since we're serving God instead of serving mammon, we're seeking to do his will for the money and to be faithful in our stewardship to him. Money is a tool by which we can fervor the work of God, and it can help us love our neighbor as ourself by making us able to bless them with something that they need or want. Money, if properly used, is a means to an end. It only becomes evil when it becomes an end in itself. God wants us to be blessed, and he wants us to have wealth. There's nothing wrong with this. It's good, but there's a reason why he blesses people in this way. We find this in the life of Abraham. Genesis 12 and 2 says, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. The Lord blessed Abraham so that he could then be a blessing to others. This is the same reason why he blesses us. He wants us to bless others. Blessings are meant to be cyclical. When we're blessed, we are then to bless others, who will then in turn bless even more people, starting a chain reaction that eventually makes its way back around to someone blessing us. When we make the most of our blessings by blessing others, it prepares us to receive even more blessings. We are never blessed just so we can hoard and accrue money just for ourselves. God always wants our stewardship to be focused on others. Even in our work, we are to be focused on others. This is the purpose of why we work. Ephesians 4 and 28 in the Amplified Bible says, The thief who has become a believer must no longer steal, but instead he must work hard, making an honest living, producing that which is good with his own hands, so that he will have something to share with anyone in need. The reason why we work and make money is so that we'll be better equipped to bless those in our lives. This is why we are told to make friends by the wealth of unrighteousness. Who are the friends? We get insight into this from the word in Greek, philos, which is used for friends. It means beloved, dear, friendly, and associate. The concordance goes on to say it means someone dearly loved and prized in a personal, intimate way, a trusted confidant, held dear in a close bond, a personal affection. The root phil conveys experiential, personal affection, indicating experience-based love. Our friends in this sense are our neighbor, those whom God has placed in our lives, and those whom we encounter, who God has given us the opportunity to bless. Our friends are those who we care about and love, even when we don't have to. They become the object of our blessing. Let's go back to Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, beginning in the 19th verse, it says, 
There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, who was laid at the gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Here we find a bad example of stewardship. The rich man was blessed, but he didn't use his wealth in the right way. He was only focused on himself. He wasn't taking any thought for anyone else. Lazarus was right outside his home, needing help and needing food, but he didn't care for him. He ignored him. Even though God had equipped him to be a blessing to those around him, especially Lazarus, he failed to steward his money well. He missed the opportunity to be blessed, and even more, to be a blessing. He missed the chance to create a bond of affection and have a personal experience with Lazarus. He could have made a friend and started a chain reaction of blessing that would have made a difference in the lives of many others. Verse 9 said, And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. When we bless those that God has placed in our lives, our friends, in heaven, they serve as testaments to our faithful stewardship and our faith lived out. Then when we get to heaven, they will be there to welcome us in. The concordance says for the word receive. The personal element is emphasized, which accounts for it always being in the Greek middle voice. This stresses the high level of self-involvement and interest involved with the welcoming and the receiving. We can never underestimate the impact that our blessing of someone has on their life. Our impact is eternal. That's why the people that God enabled us to bless will be there to welcome us and to receive us into the kingdom. We won't be like the rich man of the parable who ended up on the other side of the great chasm. He refused to help Lazarus in his hour of need. And then when his time of need came, which will last for an eternity, there was no one there to help him. The most important element of this is impact. We have the ability to impact lives. We can't allow ourselves to turn a blind eye to those in need. So many Christians are so quick to give to foreign missions, which are good and have their place, but we can't forget the people right around us who are in need. Lazarus was right outside the rich man's gate, and in a similar way, there are people on our block, in our neighborhood, in our state, that need our help. Even if it's just something small, we need to try to help those that God has placed around us. Even a small act can have a big, everlasting impact. When we use what God has given us to bless others, that may even be the very thing that leads them to God. Verse 9 said, They may receive you into everlasting habitations. The word receive has an even deeper meaning than what we looked at before. The concordance also says that it means to receive in a welcoming, receptive way. It is used to people welcoming God and His offers, like receiving and sharing in His salvation and thoughts. Our blessings may be the very thing that leads someone to welcome Christ into their heart 
and receive his free gift of salvation. This is what one blessing can do, which is why we should keep blessing and never stop. Earlier, when we looked at the term by means of, it said that it is outcome-oriented out of the depths of the source and extending to its impact on the object. God is the source, and we and those around us are the object. It is out of God's deep love and care for us, and out of his perfect character, that he desires to bless us, so that we can then bless others. He uses us as his vessel, to be the conduit for the blessings, to spread to others, because these blessings will then produce, and have their own impact, which glorifies God. This is how we steward well the money that God has given us, using it for reasons that God has designated, but we still must guard our hearts. We can't allow our rightful use of money to be warped into a love of money. This is dangerous territory. 1 Timothy 6 and 10 tells us, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The word love has the root philos, the same as we saw before. A person has gone too far when they have a bond of affection for money and prize money, making it an end in itself. Philos also is experience-based love, which reveals a lot to us. Love of money can easily become a slippery slope, which leads to trusting in money, because trust is based on experience. And this leads us back to where we started, when money becomes mammon. This is when the gift becomes the giver, when the blessing becomes the source, and worst of all, when the object that we are only meant to possess becomes the object of worship. When we look at the account of Job, we see that he was an incredibly wealthy man. But when tragedy struck, he lost his wealth, his family, and his business. But his response wasn't to give up. He kept the faith, which shows where his love and where his trust were. He knew God was the source of his blessings, and he was trusting God as his provider, not mammon. He knew his wealth was just a means to an end, not an end in and of itself. This is because he had true riches. He had the wealth of having a true personal relationship with God. And this is why he was able to stay faithful and manage well what he had. It was his faithfulness that prepared him to receive more. And in the end, God gave him a double portion from what he had in the beginning. It becomes clear who we love and who we trust when the money disappears. It's our job to stay faithful no matter what and no matter how much we may have in the natural. Paul stayed faithful. That's why he said in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound, everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer more. When we stay faithful, God will give us even more. Ephesians 3 and 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. God desires to give us more. We must remember that no matter how much physical wealth we have, we have true riches. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is of infinitely greater value than any amount of physical wealth that we could ever accrue. Today we made the choice to serve God. That's why we're listening to this program today. We're not serving mammon. Not only is mammon not for us to serve, but it's laid up for us. Proverbs 13 and 22 says, A good man leaveth an inheritance for his children's children, 
and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. This is our inheritance. It belongs to us. We know who our source is. We know who our provider is. And we know that we love and trust God. And we understand that we were not designed to serve mammon, but mammon was designed to serve us. Let's make the choice today to keep serving the Lord and to continue to give Him the top place in our lives. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that today you are our source. Lord, we thank you that you are our provider. We know that our blessings come from you. We love you, Lord. We trust you. We want you to have that top place in our life, that place within us that was designed specifically for you. Lord, we rebuke the lies of the enemy that try to tell us that money is our source or that money is our provider or that money can give us blessings. Lord, we know that that is not true. Lord, we thank you that today, You have filled that space in our hearts that only you can fill. Nothing else will ever suffice. Lord, we ask that you give us the wisdom and the discernment to know that money is only a tool. Lord, help us to not lose sight of this, but to use money in the way that you have determined and set it apart for it to be used. Lord, we thank you that we can fervor your will, that we can fervor the work that you have called us to do with the money that you have given us in this life. Lord, we thank you that You have chosen us and set us apart to do your will. And Lord, we ask that you help us and give us everything that we need to do so. And Lord, above all, we give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to serve the Lord instead of mammon and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.